Feel like Black Jesus. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Fro and the Flow presented by Burbs Entertainment. I'm your host, Ralph Campiano, and I am joined as always by the Martian, Jack Martin. What's poppin'? Not much. Been uh been grinding a Star Wars game on PS4. That's really been challenging. It's been challenging. Which one? Uh, is it the one with the shameless kid in it? It is the one with the shameless kid in it. It's called Jedi, like Fallen Order. It's I'm pretty- playing that too. You are? Mm-hmm. Dude, it's like the only non 2K or Madden game I've played in like nine years. Wow. Wow. That's wild that we're both playing. It's tricky. Are you all, is it also challenging you? Yeah. I don't know how far in I am. I got it like a year ago and I haven't made a lot of progress. I'll just play it like once every like, I'll play it for like, you know, like four days in a row, like a video game addict will. And then I'll take off like two or three weeks and then I'll hop back in. Um, I don't know how far into the story I am. It's kind of hard to talk about because I don't really follow the story. I just skip all the scenes yeah. and stuff like that. But I like fucking shit up as a Jedi. It's, it's fun. I've been gaming a lot lately, honestly. Um, my girlfriend's in like big in the like the Switch, so I just I and mean, my buddy Rob gave me his PS4 because mine broke. So I've just been back into gaming. Spider Man game on PS4, fire. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's a game that's really easy. Like you could tear shit up in that game. Yeah, you can just oh, hop that game in. Is sick. You can just swing around. It's like they like photocopied like New York City. It's wild. It's insanely detailed. Super fun. Um, and then 2K22, of course, which has honestly been kind of fun. I haven't hated it yet. So fun. I haven't it's had so a gaming right. system for six months. I haven't touched a game yeah. in like a half year. Proud of myself. I didn't, re- I didn't realize how much I missed it, though, until I got it back. Mm-hmm. You missed it good. And if you guys are listening to this podcast for the first time because you want to listen to us talk about euphoria that voice in the background that sounds like a, a cigarette dipped in whiskey is carter Ferriman of 303 <laughs> magazine what's good barter i'm on a hot streak man this is probably the most fro and flow episodes that i've done in like i i what it's been like three or four this year by itself like i am mm-hmm. going man happy to be back happy to talk euphoria the best show on tv right ralph if you die, you're a legend. That's all I know because you're making these appearances. No, it's not the best TV show um, <laughs> on television right now, but we're going to talk about it. Uh, we're also going to talk towards the end about DeMar DeRozan's MVP case, what we've been watching, and then touch on the Super Bowl a little bit. Um, but so what, what I want to do is I want to talk about Euphoria because you guys are both fans of the show, and I've been critical of the show. I don't think that's a secret at all in our group chats, online, all that kind of stuff. So I want to talk about the things that I do like and the things that I don't like, and I have them all laid out here for you. Do you guys want to start with positives or do you guys want to start with negatives? Because, you know, I'll, I'll let you choose. Uh, let's start with positives because I know Carter has a lot okay. of positive things to say about the last two episodes. Sure, sure. So we're talking about season two, episodes one through six. Uh, I think we talked about season one in the past a long time ago when it premiered like two years ago. I think Probably we did a like lot. a weekly pod on it. I think we started it or something. I think we tied it in a Big Little Pogs, which was then retitled <laughs> Big Little Gas. Our Big Little Lies podcast. <laughs> big Little Lies. I love Big Little Lies, but this is not Big Little Lies. All right, so let's start with the things that I do like. So I want to talk about the performances, and I just want to highlight a few people. Um, I think they are the best part of the show. It's a bunch of 20-something-year-old kids who are doing a pretty damn good job. Um, so we got Fezco, Angus Cloud. He's my personal favorite character. Um, I always forget Maude Apatow's character's name, but Joe Apatow and Leslie Mann's daughter, I think she's absolutely brilliant in the show. She's kind of Fezco's love partner um, throughout the season and Cassie's uh, sister. Do you guys know her name off the top of your head? I always forget. I feel bad. Lexi. Lexi, that's right. Um, Sydney Sweeney's Cassie. 
uh, Hunter Schaefer's Jewels, Zendaya for the most part, uh, Storm Reed's Gia, Coleman Domingo's Ali, and the actor who plays Cal, I guess. Um, who is your guys' favorite character on this show? Or maybe not character, but who has what you think is the best performance on this show? Because personally, I love Fesco. He's the only reason I've been returning to these episodes to see how his storyline progresses. We'll talk about that later. But who stands out for you guys? I think that Zendaya is the best actor on the show. Um, honestly, by a wide margin, I think when they focus on Rue and kind of have scenes where she's in a fight or is kind of in a state of breakdown or collapse, um, I think Zendaya has really had like showing like really good dramatic chops. I mean, she obviously she won, I think, in, what was it, an Emmy um, for the role. Uh, she's been killing it. I don't think the show is on the level that it's at without her. Not um, even close. Not necessarily just in terms of her star power, because I think this has kind of helped propel her in terms with Spider-Man being like the biggest movie ever. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, if she wasn't killing it, the show wouldn't be where it's at. Um, she's been great. Um, yeah, I think the supporting cast has done a solid job. I think the last couple episodes, as Carter has been saying in the group chats earlier, um, I think the last one did a better job of kind of <clears throat> the second to last, just focused plainly on Rue. We got a little bit of glimpse of everybody. She set it off with the how long you've been fucking Nate Jacobs that's been all over Twitter. Um, and then this week we got to see everything else play out. We got to see more of Nate. That interaction with his mom was fucking weird. I thought he was going to kiss his mom at one point. He looks at her tits. Yeah. I can tell you that much. Like they're having a conversation. She's mentioning something and he gives her like one of those side stares while he's drinking a glass of whiskey. I didn't know any 17 year olds or 18 year olds that has drank glasses of whiskey. I didn't start doing that till I was like 23. I don't know where you guys stood. I don't do it uh, now. Maybe it's- <laughs> you don't? Okay. I love whiskey personally, but yeah, I, I found it really hard to just take back straight whiskey back then. Um, but I agree. I mean, Zendaya is a brilliant actress. Like there's a reason she's in the third biggest movie of all time. There's a reason that the show is still going after the first season, um, despite having a pretty easy targeted demographic that a demographic that I think needed a show like this. Cause there aren't really in many other shows that do exist like this on this level. I think, I think of this show as a ratchet soap opera, if you will, with a lot of ketamine and Xanax and ecstasy and all that kind of stuff. And that's like something that, you know, as prescription drugs become, I don't know if they're more popular now than they ever have been, but at least like the conversation around them is more popular. And, you know, the addiction is obviously something that Zendaya does a genius job of portraying. So I love her, her performance. I just fucking hate Rue personally. I cannot stand her as a character. Like I genuinely like she frustrates me. And I think that's kind of why I'm hesitant to really commit to this show and like be an advocate for it, for lack of a better term, because I try to think about its place in the rest of TV and movie culture like as a whole. And I think that its relationship, Euphoria's relationship to movies and TV is analogical to the relationship that Rue has to the rest of Euphoria. I think they're both very frustrating They're all over the place. They're hectic, sarcastic, pretty absurd. Don't really know where they belong, but Zendaya is in it. So she's like the most talented Disney Channel graduate. She's been planted in kids' heads from a really young age, whether they remember it or not. So we kind of hang on to see where or even if it ever falls into place. Because 
I've been most critical of Levinson. I think this is where you can step in, Carter, because I think we have different views on him. I think maybe I still have a little bit of a hangover from Malcolm and Marie, which I had high hopes for and that I was extremely disappointed by. I had high hopes for Euphoria when I saw that Drake was an executive producer on. I was like, okay, let's see what the... I mean, Drake's never on set. I can imagine that much at least. But like, I was like, oh, this is going to be a show that's like catered to me. So I should love this. And I just never did. But like, what do you think of Levinson's role as the auteur, quote unquote, for the show? Maybe not quote unquote. He's definitely the auteur. He writes and he directs every episode. Yeah, I think Sam Levinson's done a much worse job this season of steering storylines. I think he's kind of gotten back to home base with the past two episodes, which is good. That was needed uh, because and this is something that we were talking about in our chat. Um, You know, it was really flipping around between plot A, plot B, plot C, plot D, plot E, you know, back forth. And it's like he couldn't find his stepping and then characters were getting lost and i think a few of them are still lost like uh to answer the first question that you asked um season one my favorite character and actress was hunter schaefer playing jules Mm. uh i thought she was fantastic um just like you know very passive but like plays this role as like kind of this like really unique person to a t um but levinson's had a really difficult time bringing her back in um you know, uh, maybe that's part of the point because she left at the end of season one and she's having trouble getting back into her friend groups and back into the relationships that she built in the first season. Um, but, uh, I mean, like we saw her for five minutes in the last episode. And then the one before that, it was like maybe five or 10 minutes tops. And like, this was, you know, character B behind Rue for pretty much the entire show. Um, you know, I think that Sam Levinson, uh, I'm I'm not sure if you guys know this, uh, but, you know, he is basing Rue as a character off of um, loosely based off of what he was like as a kid. He struggled with drug addiction, painkillers, opiates pretty severely. Um, and I don't know how accurate it is, but uh, like I would have to assume that he's like kind of turning it up to the maximum. Um, you know, there are scenes that make sense. There are scenes that feel natural. There are also scenes that are ridiculous uh you know he's all over the place so i think he kind of stands right in the middle for me as an average writer director um that has a lot of young promising talent uh you know kind of pulling the carriage for me he does do a good job of giving actors and actresses their due diligence uh, especially sydney sweeney in this season she is an expert at getting pissed (laughs) as an actress like in this last Mm -hmm. episode where she's going back and forth between the kitchen and her room but then like going down to scream at her mom who's also a fantastic actress uh plays the drunk midlife crisis um mother to a t uh but like when she gets mad and like you can see it in her eyes and like you really feel that and i think sam has done a good job of that um you know he's like also washed out characters that i don't think need to be uh, washed out as much as they are. So, you know, I like, I could go on and on with this, but I think it kind of boils down to, uh, you know, he's having a great time with some characters and having a hard time with others of making it all fit together. Um, I think, I think they killed off Cal, not like killed off, but I, but I think he's gone almost entirely. I don't know how you guys feel about that. So I think that that kind of takes out a storyline from the equation that seemed to be pretty important the first few episodes that was my favorite 
cold open of the entire season to this point uh, was cows. So, um, you know, like maybe he'll have a better job focusing, uh, you know, and finishing out the season. And I'm excited for the next episode. It seems like it's kind of a wrap up. Uh, I, I don't know if it's the season finale. Do you guys know how many more episodes there are in the season? I think they're doing 10 again. Um, okay. But to your point, I think that Levinson definitely is talented. I, th- I think he's actually really talented because um, I-, I think you raised a good point about like this is um, a show that where it, things feel natural sometimes, but most of the time it feels very maximalist, very absurdist. It's like he is cramming so much. He's so eager. And I don't want to compare him to PTA, but when PTA's early career, he was very, very eager. Like he wanted to show you, I can do all these cool tricks with the camera. But the difference is, is that Paul always had stories that you didn't know where they were going, but you were very invested in the story itself. You would have watched that story, even if it wasn't, even if it didn't look like a Scorsese movie. With Levinson, I don't know if I would be as interested or as intrigued by the show if it didn't look like it was washed over with all of these Instagram filters, you know, like I've heard a rumor that it was shot on film. I'm not sure if I believe that because some of the cuts and stuff like that, I don't know. I, I don't know too much about that kind of stuff, honestly, but I guess I, I just get frustrated with the show because sometimes I'm like, am I just watching 2022 Degrassi on more drugs and with a guy who it, it, it's, I, I feel like I pull punches sometimes when talking about him, which you guys might not believe because of like his past and stuff like that. I was familiar with it, but I feel like he's just so masturbatory about like all of his filmmaking. It's like every little thing has to be as big as it can possibly be, which I appreciate to a certain degree, but it's like we talked about show don't tell before. And it feels like he's just always telling and telling and telling like specifically with the Cassie and Nate relationship towards the beginning of that cold open where she's just like fucking love feels so fucking good. And I'll talk about Rue as a narrator later, but go ahead, Jack. I was going to say, he kind of is like Adam McKay in that sense, where like you give him like a big budget, you give him a good cast, but he just, like, it's got its moments, but he just can't help but like jerk himself off a little bit too much at points. And Adam McKay just loves to tell, loves right. just to be like, listen to me, be smart and stuff. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, it's uh, so my biggest thing to your point of how, Sam like really leans heavily on the cinematography and uh, you know, the music, because I think that's like, we've, we've found because they have emerged at the beginning of this season or actually in between the first and second season is like the Twitter euphoria fan. Right. Yeah. That just dies for that stuff. Like that's what they're watching the show for is this. Yes, he knows his demographic very well. These the songs and these shots, girl. but I've seen something happen the past two episodes um, I was, t- I was saying it later or sorry, earlier to you guys. Um, he's moved away from that a little bit. He's moved away from the colors a tad. Um, you know, like he's still got those corny shots where it's like the song is playing and it's like outside of Nate's truck window looking in, like the rain is yeah. falling, but like he's moved away where like I looked at the song list from this last episode and there were only three songs that were externally sourced past episodes, like episode one of this season, there were like 13 or 14. Um, and like those shots and you've seen that Twitter community get a little bit quieter and the last two, cause I don't know if they like it very much that like it's turning into like, and I do in, 
enjoy this show, but I feel like it's almost starting to just a smidgen, like turn into an actual show, right? Where, mm. where like you are starting to get invested in these dialogues and like you're bringing characters together, like Nate and his mom talking, like I would have never expected anything like that to go longer than 10 seconds in the first season where like you might get one line from him and then he starts to play a baby keem song and like it cuts to her dancing in a parking lot or something right like <laughs> like it it like it, it's turns into a music video yeah yes very much so that's a that's a really good way to put it um and i hope that he can keep this going with this play that's supposed to be coming up i don't know if it will but we'll see I'm fascinated by Lexi's play. I want to talk about the narration. So I guess we're kind of meshing things I don't do like into things I don't like. Um, Most movies and TV shows, I think they struggle with narration and they use it as a crutch. I mean, I can count, I think, you know, three movies where narration really works and they're all Scorsese movies. Goodfellas, Wolf of Wall Street, The Irishman. And The Irishman doesn't really use it that often, but obviously Goodfellas relies on it. They use multiple narrators, all this kind of stuff. But other than that, no other movie or show with narration really elevates the story or the characters. I feel like they use it as a stepping Elf? stone. <laughs> Elf, sure. The usual Elf? suspects. I don't know if, uh, usual suspects? Okay, great. Um, but I don't care that Rue, I, I hear this all the time, that she's an unreliable narrator. Because it's obvious that she's an unreliable narrator. She's also an unreliable sister, daughter, friend, partner, etc. I think the fun thing about unreliable narrators in themselves is that you don't really realize that they're an unreliable narrator until later in the story. If you took any English class before, I'm sure you read a story with an unreliable narrator. And you don't read it until page 80 if it's a text. Or you don't realize until page 5 if it's a short story. Or the unreliable narrator is so out of whack and they're not the focus of the story like Heath Ledger's Joker because he tells three different stories about how he got his scars. And that's a caricature of a character that we weren't familiar with. So it was, it was fascinating. But I feel like the difference between the narration in a Scorsese movie and a narration in Euphoria is that Rue is like the moment in season two, episode six, the last episode we just watched where she's about to go to Jules watching the laptop and she's like, fuck that. Let's go to Maddie and Cassie. It feels like Levinson actually thought that in his head. He was like, I don't have anything for Jules right now. Let's just go to Maddie and Cassie because there's tension there. And I know you guys are waiting on this relationship. That's a good point. My big thing with the narration, and I never really think about it until you bring it up to us. Um, I think it's good and bad. And it's really, really easy to pick out when it's good and it's bad. It's good. Yes. When... Rue is being introspective for her own character and her own storyline, because that's what a narrator in my eyes is supposed to serve is their own storyline, right? She's saying things in her head and telling the audience things that she um, in the show doesn't feel comfortable saying or doesn't have the courage to say uh, because of this addiction that she faces and things like that. But where I start to get caught up on it, um, and like it starts to hitch in my eyes is when she starts to narrate the other storylines. So like when she's talking about Nate and Maddie and about Cassie and stuff like that, it's like um, I I think it's kind of past the point of no return where like I would enjoy it. I think as much or more if he just completely took out the narration for the other storylines. But if he did, I I think you would be able to tell. I think he'd have to wait until next season to 
to do something like that. Um, like she's describing these storylines like she's right there, um, yes. but she's not. And it's so obvious, like these are things that are supposed to be secrets. And like, these are things that are supposed to be between these characters. But then like Rue's voice takes me out of it because it's like she's hovering over the room, which is literally what Sam is doing as the director. Like he's right behind the camera. So to your point, um, you know, it's like Sam's voice, right? Like he's uh, crossing through the fourth wall more than he should, but like he's using this character as a means to do so. I think he should keep it just with Rue. It's her voice. It's her story. You know. I couldn't agree more. I think one last thing on the narration. I promise I'll stop because I know it's kind of nerdy and people probably don't care about it as much. But um, it feels like, you know, like when you're you're drawing out a story for the first time, like one of the first things you have to do when you're creating a story is you have to create the characters. And you have to give the characters definitions, bios, characteristics, and all this kind of stuff. It feels like he is just slowly putting in those character bios about Nate specifically and just putting it into the screenplay itself. Like Nate didn't really love his mother as much as he should have. That's something that I don't need to be told. You can just show that to me. You know what I mean? So um, I don't know. I, I think people, I think this is a show that is good for people to have. I will never be against a show being popular if it's doing the right things. And I think at the end of the day, this is doing the right things. It's bringing an awareness to one drugs are not cool, but at the same time I have this conflicting issue where it's like, if I'm a 16 year old at this time, I'm like, damn ecstasy and acid look really fun when Rue and Jules are under the blanket in season one. Like it looks like they're having the time of their life. They get to see all these colors. And I feel like it can be pretty persuasive in that regard, despite having the content warning at the beginning I don't know if that's something we should consider when we're talking about a television show and its quality. Um, but I don't know. It, it definitely, I think for the first time in a long time with this show, maybe the first time period, I'm actually looking forward to next week's episode because I want to see if there is a story at all. And if there isn't any story, more story developing, then I'm probably going to give out just a little bit more because I don't know what, what stories do we even have to track right now? We have the play. We have Fezico's about to get raided by the cops with ashtray we have Rue is going to rehab or hopefully going to rehab. She might not be able to get in. I, I think actually let's shine a light really quick on Coleman Domingo's Ali because he's probably, I, I mentioned Fesco. I think he's probably my favorite character. The Carter, I think you spotlighted in our group chat when it came out, the um, short film, if you will, um, that was between the seasons where it's just Rue and um, Ali talking in a cafe. I thought that was pretty fucking well done and a pretty hard thing to do to just have, a dialogue between two people for about 55 minutes. I like that more than the Jules one personally, but Jack, like where do you see like, like this show has so many good people and so many bad people and everybody is either so good or so bad. Like I know we talked about like this show would not exist without Zendaya. Would this show hold the same weight for you if it weren't for Rue's sponsor, Ali? Um, I think he definitely plays an important part in the show and, Rue's character and that kind of only person in her inner circle that can relate to her and what she's going through. His performance is incredible. He's obviously one of the best on the show um, when he's given the chance to really shine, especially in those moments of when Rue's really struggling. Um, that scene on that stairwell was particularly one of, the, I think, the sadder moments of the season um, when she goes after him. Um, but yeah, I think the 
the supporting characters are definitely important because there are times where Rue really isn't the focus of an episode. Um, and as Carter mentioned, there will be like a B plot, a C plot, a D plot, an E plot going on. And if the characters involved in those aren't interesting, then it's going to be a really boring episode. Um, so I think that although there are weaknesses in certain storylines and characters not getting the right attention, everybody is either really good at their job or just good enough to keep it interesting, um, especially in the episodes that started through. But um, yeah, Ali's definitely one of the best. And I always look forward to his um, performances whenever I see him coming on screen. I get excited. So at the very beginning of this last episode, and I like that Sam Levinson is beginning to take like the euphoria title shot and like mix it in like with a scene as it's happening and I thought that that was one of the most important scenes of the show period and I've been doing a lot of thinking about this the Jolly Rancher particular rapper, scene um Rue's narration when she's talking about herself at the start is great because it's about her like we just said but like she's going through these people that she feels like she needs to apologize to and the things that she regrets that she said but then she gets to Ali's character and she says him like I really regret what I said to him and then when she's on the phone with him it's like she can't get these words out because she's so disappointed in herself and I thought that that was the moment when Sam was trying to tell um and I thought that this is like a very rare case of him doing a show don't tell where like he was telling the viewers that Rue is beginning to see him as a father figure Right. Because that was always something that she really had a hard time with was like, um, or she currently has a hard time with is like, you know, disappointing her father who has passed. Um, and like, what would he think about her? Like we saw that church scene where like, she's hugging him, um, and like saying, you know, I'm a bad person. Why do you forgive me? Stuff like that. And then when she's on the phone with Ali, she can't even get out the apology. And then when she does and he says that he forgives her, she's like, but how do you know I mean it, right? It's like she's talking to him the same way that she talks to her dad when she's really high and she's like having these otherworldly visions. And um, I think that that's something that she's going to find. Um, you know, like he said it at the dinner table, he said, um, you know, Rue just needs to find it, right? Like she needs to find that something uh, to beat that 5% statistic that they keep on saying. And I think that what she needs to find is that support system and like being able to accept support. Um, and if she starts to see Coleman Domingo's character in that light, uh, you know, I think that that's going to be the breakthrough for her. At least uh, that's like my, my guess um, for the end of the season. I don't know if he's going to start fucking her mom. Um, it seems like it. She, it really one does. thing that She's I been dressing up, She's yeah, makeup yeah, on, doing her yeah, hair. No. Yes, she did her hair when he came over. I saw that. Uh, but like, you know, having that in place, like I kind of noticed that and I thought about it a bit. And you know, I was proud of Sam Levinson for that. Uh, maybe I'm like it could be totally untrue. I could just be no. I, I hair, totally but. agree. The Jolly Rancher scene was like pretty moving because. That could have been something that he stayed on for 15 seconds, like you mentioned earlier, and then cut to a Baby Keem song or like fucking Stand by Eminem or some shit. But he stuck with the Jolly Rancher. She was really struggling. All she wanted was a little bit of sweetness, and she couldn't get it because she was physically enabled because she's having these terrible withdrawals. I guess uh, 
My, the my biggest thing Jolly is like, Rancher commercial of all time. The worst. Yeah, it's the worst. The worst. You guys racer. like watermelon Jolly Ranchers? What's your favorite flavor of Jolly Rancher, Jack? I like blue. Yeah. Ew. I'm gonna oh, give the God. simple answer to the blue. I like Raz blue. Is the best. What green. do you mean? Ew. That's the what crackhead do you like? color. What do you mean Cherry. crackhead color? Oh, blue's easily the sweetest. Crackheads can't open Jolly Ranchers. We just saw that. Yeah, apparently not. <laughs> okay. Crackheads. All right. Well, I, I guess that's a light transition into what our next subject. So, well, I feel like there's a lot of people who probably skipped the euphoria part of the episode. I feel like our our our, our audiences for this podcast are gonna be totally different because I've been time stamping the episodes re- recently. So, if you are a fan of euphoria and bowls like us and the NBA, I guess congratulations. But I feel I like, like everyone like watches my brother, euphoria. No, my brother is fast forwarding through the euphoria part, and he's definitely making it to the Bulls part for sure. So we're going to talk about DeMar DeRozan now, who is third in the MVP race, I guess. He's definitely cemented himself in the top five with the last month of basketball. Why not one? I mean, maybe he's in the most improved player category. This is a guy who's averaged 25, 26 points a game before in his career earlier. So I don't think he belongs in that category. But what he's doing this year is definitely the best basketball that he's ever played. As somebody that's watched him for a long time, I think he is just a completely different player than he was in Toronto. I think he's similar enough to what he was in San Antonio. But now he just has a bigger load on his shoulders, if that makes sense, especially with Zach being out, Caruso being out, Lonzo being out. He's the playmaker, the facilitator, but he's also... That's what he's doing for the first three quarters. Then the fourth quarter, he's just deciding that he's the best basketball player on the floor. He's more fundamentally gifted than everybody. And this is a guy who came into the league as a high riser, if you guys don't remember. Like, at USC, he was like a freakish athlete. He was kind of like Levine in that regard. At UCLA, he was a freakish athlete. And then they polished their skills through hard work. Carter, you said that he has been far away the best basketball player for the last month. Make the case. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... The Sixers played tonight. We saw how that turned out. Joel Embiid didn't have a good game. This month, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. This month, um, DeMar DeRozan is playing almost exactly like MVP Kobe. There. Sure. Yeah. Dude, he is putting up at least 32 points per game, and he's hitting these shots that are just insane. And, like, you see flashes of Kobe here and there, like those turnaround mid-range shots. Like, this is, like, the first time where I really feel comfortable watching him this month. I think it's been eight or nine games this month um, where, like, I can confidently say, I mean, he looks like Kobe right now. I Like, he's slow and methodical, and he's hitting these shots, and and, like, he's getting the other stats and he looks serviceable on defense, which is not something that I thought I'd see. Um, just like all, like all of these things put together, um, you know, Joel Embiid owned January. He probably owned December too, but February is DeMar's month. Um, you know, the scoring and like what he's done for his team, you know, I think they're seven and three in their last 10 Sixers are 500 in their last 10. Um, it's, and like, I might need that to be stat checked, but I think I'm close. Uh, It's yeah. DeMar is, I don't know if it'll get better than this, um, but like that doesn't really matter because if he's playing just like a little bit worse than this come playoff time, he'll still be the best player on the court. um, You know, unless he runs into a Giannis or a KD, but it's just insane. Yeah. He's doing all this without taking threes. So in those last nine games, there's se- sorry, the last seven games, I believe they're five and two. He's playing 38 minutes. 
He's shooting 58% from the floor. That's so taking twenty five, Taking 25 shots on 58% from the floor. Most of these are contested shots, mind you, because they are not threes. They're not wide open. He's creating these for himself. He's taking 10 free throws, shooting 87% from the line. He's averaging 5.6 rebounds, 5.7 assists. And then the big banger, he's averaging 38 points per game in the last seven games. Like he's almost going for 40 every single night. And to your point, I think the Kobe comparison is one that um, people rush to make all the time. Devin Booker, DeRozan in the past, um, a handful of people, right? But I think it is most apt right now. I'm glad you brought up the MVP season because I think when people think of MVP Kobe, they probably think of, I call him Froby, number eight, rocking number eight, going with Afro, dropping, I guess he had 81 when he was bald. But um, it's 2008 is when he won the MVP, the year they lost the Celtics in the finals. And that was a version of Kobe that still had – you know, top 90% of the league athleticism, but he wasn't in that 99 percentile anymore. That's kind of where DeMar is now. You saw him bang last night on Pirtle against the Spurs, and he's still capable of that. But what he's doing is he is just the master of the mid-range. I think the king of the fourth is like my favorite nickname in the NBA right now. I love it when Stacey King is calling him that during like local broadcasts and stuff like that. So The monster of the mid-range? I don't know. I, I watch a lot of basketball, and I have been – more impressed with him than I have been anybody else because Embiid, it's like, yeah, it makes sense. He's fucking Godzilla. He's the biggest guy on the floor. He can get to the rim whenever he wants. Jokic is also ridiculously impressive because of his passing skills, his touch, all that kind of stuff. Also a big body that bangs. DeRozan's 6'6". He's like 34 years old. 33, 34, somewhere in that range. 32. And he is just old man gaming his way to just bucket after bucket after bucket and I don't know if I've seen a streak like this in a long time. Because even when Harden was going on those streaks that Jack and I were just drooling over, he was, he was taking like 13 threes a game, getting to the line like 15 to 16 times. DeMar's doing this all from inside the arc, and it's just the most old school, I'm better than you at basketball game I've seen Jordan, in a long, long Kobe, time. Jordan, Kobe, guys that only took twos, really. It, he, I think he's created his own shot. Um, and The double pump fake or what? Well, well, that, but also, like, most of these guys, like, he obviously has the fadeaway mastered, but he has, like, the fade towards, too, where, like, he'll dribble up slowly and, like, won't be necessarily trying to draw a foul. It's, like, not the plays where he pump fakes because, like, those are the ones where he, re- like, where he, like, really gets the fouls on. But, like, he'll jump slowly into the defender and shoot, which, like, I've never mm-hmm. seen a player do that before, like, so confidently. And, like, he'll do it in iso ball. <laughs> he's got 40 points three times this season. I think he has like nine times in his career, and he's got three of them since January 23rd. Literally in the last, not even a month, he's had 40 points three times. He's been the Bulls MVP this year. I mean, he, it's been Absolutely. so big. I mean, Zach Levine's also been really, really good. He's an all-star. Um, but he's definitely, the attention shifted as compared to last year. Everyone in Chicago is talking about Zach Levine now. Everyone's talking about DeMar DeRozan. People are asking if he's having a better season than 2011 D. Rose. Um, I think probably um, from a from a from a statistical standpoint in terms of the magic behind those seasons. I don't know. I don't know if anything um, will pale in comparison to that. Just experiencing that, it definitely it, the 2011 D. Rose season definitely felt different um there was a more of a connection because you drafted that guy right um but just you inherited DeMar DeMar. DeMar. yeah but for DeMar DeRozan to like 
go from the Raptors to the Spurs and kind of just seem like I don't know. I wasn't really I'm not really sure what his career path was shaping up to be. And then he comes to the Bulls. Everyone says it's the worst signing in the offseason, blah, blah, blah. And now he's fucking crushing it. Um I think it's just been so huge um to have Zach Levine not have to shoulder the load every night. I think that him and DeMar have done such a good job of just like deferring responsibilities. I think Billy Donovan's done a pretty solid job of stacking it, the rotation. So there's usually one of them on the court at all times. Um, but I don't know. Dude, he's just been so fucking good. He's kind of like – he's just like the veteran leadership that I think the team needed as well. Just very like – he had to play LeBron for so long in the playoffs and just get like <laughs> it fucked up. Um, obviously press conference Vucevic, where he's like, I don't know what we're going to fucking do. We go against LeBron James every year. He's like, yeah. he's fucking LeBron James. It's like obviously Vucevic is really talented, all star. Um, been like been playing better, yeah, but like he was never like he doesn't have like championship experience. Obviously, Demar didn't either. But those teams had like those Raptors teams had like championship experiences, and he's always been just like a mid range killer. Um, I don't know, just the team around him. I really miss fucking Alex Crusoe and Lonzo Ball. It's all I can think about when I watch the Bulls right now. Besides, damn, Demar is really good at basketball. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, without those guys, without Zach being in right now, being kind of in and out, uh, it's really kind of wild how afloat he's kept this roster because the supporting cast at times isn't always the prettiest. But uh, I love DeMar. No, it's a great I'm really point. excited he's a bull. Because he's uh, – he, you guys didn't make any moves of the trade deadline. There's a lot of rumors no. about you going out and getting Jeremy Grant or a Miles Turner or something like that. And if it wasn't for DeMar doing what he's doing right now, people would be kind of firing at the Bulls because they'd be like, well, why didn't you make a move? It was so obvious that you needed to. But DeMar's just completely demonstrated, it's all right. I'll put the team on my back. We don't need to make a move because we have me. And I'm enough. Like, I promise I'm enough. Like, I'm going to get everybody involved in third in the first three quarters. I had a sumo, Tony Bradley, Javante Green, Derek Jones Jr., Vooch, whoever it might be. But the fourth quarter is mine. And... What's so impressive about that is like the fourth quarter has been his all year. So, you know, defenses are gearing up for him in the fourth quarter, putting their best player on him, double teaming him. And he is every single time making the right decision. And I mean, just looking at his shooting splits, it's like field goal percentages, just the last six games. Like, all right, here, let's take out this game where he shot 42%. Last six games. I mean, this is just absolutely disgusting stuff from this guy. 61% the last six games. Like, what the fuck? This DeAndre Jordan, like, 2013 was only catching yeah, lobs. Yeah, literally. Cranky DeAndre points up to 39 a game. <laughs> like, what without, the fuck, dude? Like, this is a special streak. All-star starter. We need to, like, without Lonzo and Caruso and Levine in, who do they look like? They look like the 2008 Lakers, the year that Kobe won the MVP. Pau Gasol mm. and Kobe Bryant, right? You got this great big man inside. I think Pau was better than Vooch is now. To be no fair. Shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, but like you've got these two guys surrounded by a bunch of role players who are playing their fucking parts out besides like Smush Parker. Um like just like it's it's so cool to see. And like I'm glad that I can draw that comparison and God, I can't wait to watch him and like playoff games where it's the fourth quarter and like it means so much more. And like he's hitting these shots. It's gonna be so cool. 
with what he's doing right now, is it feeling realer? Like you guys can go and get the title this year because Brooklyn makes the move. Philly makes the move. Milwaukee has not necessarily struggled, but I think that you guys match up decently with them. Obviously the Giannis part with your guys' defense is an issue, but that's an issue for everybody. But you know, Levine is taking his time coming back. There's no rush and they're still staying in the top three, top four seeds in the East. It would suck to face Brooklyn in the first round, but I think you guys can possibly avoid that if you guys get like the three seed and have to play the six. Um, but does it feel more real? Like you guys can actually win the NBA title this year? Like we talked about it like at the beginning of the season, Jack, and we laughed. I laughed at you when you're like, the Bulls are winning the championship this year. I watched this team and I'm like just imagining because it's not like they're going to have to completely rebuild and refocus their offense once Alonzo, Caruso, and Levine comes back because we know what it looks like with them. So exactly. does, does it feel realer? Yeah, 100%. And I think that the team has been reiterating that a lot lately. Um, there was a clip of DeMar DeRozan at a press conference saying, I don't really think we need to make any moves. We haven't really gotten to see what this roster can do. Um, I think the team's only fully healthy played together four games. And they were, in the small sample size, they were in like the top five in both offense and defense. Uh, they moved so well. I was able to see the healthy team on opening night in person. Everything just was so fucking smooth. Um, I think the team works really well together. Just All the pieces just like clicked really well. AK and Mark Eversley put together a really good squad, especially with the lineup of Caruso, Lonzo, Levine, DeRozan, and Vucevic. Um, I think that could just be a really potent lineup come playoff time. Um, and you're flexible too because Patrick Williams is going to come back, and that's not a guy you have to force into the offense and force looks for. Like he'll get them naturally. Yeah, I don't want to have to play the Bucks. Me either. I'll though. play that's Ed, a thing. dude. Any I will play Bucks. any team in the East. I'll play the Sixers. Shit, dude. I'll play the I'll I'll play the Brooklyn Nets, but I do not want to play the Bucks. I Anyone saw Milwaukee. I saw Drew Holiday do his shit versus DeRozan and Zach Levine and like. I mean, nobody's guarding Giannis. It's like, I'm more scared of Giannis in the playoffs by a long shot than I am of Joel. And, like, Joel's probably going to win the MVP this year. So I'm terrified of Giannis in the playoffs. Joel didn't drop a 50-burger in Game 6 of the NBA Finals. No. Giannis dropped a 50-burger tonight. Yeah. <laughs> He's Nobody's no – one, no one talks about his big games. No one. I know it completely goes under the radar because he won back-to-back MVPs. I'm also on a fuck the Bucks train right now because of Grayson Allen. So, okay, fair enough. Hashtag Duke in the NBA, I guess. Grayson Allen. All right, Ralph. Should we talk about the Super Bowl a little bit? Let's do it. I want to hear Martian's thoughts on the Super Bowl. It was honestly a fun game. It kept my attention. Um, All I kept thinking the whole time was, "Damn, this Joe Burrow guy is pretty good at football." Pretty good. (laughs) I like Jamar Chase. He's really good. I like his. You like I like, Jamar Chase. I like his energy. Yep. Um, you like his dances. His yeah, gritty. I didn't. I really didn't care what happened. I usually in like the past, it's just been me. Like God, I hope Tom Brady loses and then he doesn't. Um, so it was kind of fun to like watch a game that I had like no skin in the game for. I was like, I was like rooting for the Bengals. Um, I guess like that'd be cool if they won, just because like I know they haven't as a franchise haven't done shit like in decades. Um, my girlfriend's from Ohio, so I was like, yeah, woo, let's go Bengals. Um, yeah, cool for Matt Stafford 
halftime show was like pretty solid. Um, yeah, it was a Super Bowl commercial. It's too many crypto commercials. Yeah, too many. thank you. Sure. I said that um, before you joined the call. And I, was talking I mean, about too many like, crypto commercials. Jesus joke. Christ! I mean, they like, have like so I saw much like, money. Oh, Larry David commercial. This is fun. Oh, no, I was like, I was like, oh, come LeBron on, commercial? dude. I mean, yeah, cool. I mean, they, Marvel does it all the time. Why did that have to be crypto? Yeah. Why it couldn't have been for anything else? It could have been for Gatorade, Nike, and then it's just fucking crypto.com. Like, Jesus. Like, I mean, it makes sense because like they bought the Staples Center naming rights. But what? I thought that sucks. Braun commercial was corny as fuck. I thought it was, oh, so, I thought it was so cool. It was so sick. Like, dude, like, what is this? The Irishman? It's like, what are we fucking yeah. doing here with this, like, CGI? Technology bullshit? wasn't as good as the Irishman. The Sopranos commercial. The money than crypto.com. I don't need Braun telling me fortune favors the brave, dude. Like, I've already got Matt Damon <laughs> screaming that shit in my ear. Whispers Every time the you time go see a movie. Romans. Oh, my God. I can't go see a movie without thinking that The Martian 2 is dropping. And then it turns out I've been tricked, like, 40 different, uh, I'd say... <laughs> 15 or 16 different times now. Every movie I see, Cinemark just has to play the crypto commercial. No, it's Matt Damon trying to sell you cum rocket at $18 a pop. <laughs> as far as the game itself, um, I thought there was a little bit left to be desired. Um, would have liked to see the ball get tossed around a little bit more. Maybe the Rams don't stick with the running game so much. Odell getting hurt obviously sucked. Um, wish that even the Bengals would have just left Mixon in and taken out Perrine sometimes. Um, but you know, it's, it's the Super Bowl, So it felt weird just seeing the Rams and the Bengals. It still doesn't feel real to me that those two teams were in the Super Bowl because the Bengals are this team that had the first pick two years ago and the fifth pick or the fourth pick last year. And, you know, I don't know if they get back there. The AFC is a ridiculous gauntlet because you got Josh Allen, Mahomes, Herbert, Burrow. Um, I mean, there's just a perennial of contenders out there that are just, there's a bunch of perennial contenders out there that are just absolute ballers. So you know, I think yeah. you only look up from here, and I guess I'm happy with the Rams. Your boy Von Miller got another ring, and Aaron Donald is oh, the yeah. best football player of the 21st century, not named Tom Brady. So I, shout out Aaron Donald. I don't know how people can watch that game and say that defensive line and offensive line isn't the most important part of a football game. Mm. Like, 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 I get it. Jamar Chase, Cooper Cup, but like Joe, Joe Burrow was having to throw the ball inside three seconds the whole fucking game. Remind me of my old pal, Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck, yep. Running for his life. Like, like, that is the game decider. Donald and Floyd and Vaughn sacked him seven times. They tied the Super Bowl record. It's like, that is the reason why they won that football game. Like, all right, Cup is amazing. He probably had the best season of any offensive player in the history of football this year. Yeah, like, like, I'm... Never going to take that with a grain of salt, but uh, like it, it is won and lost at that starting point. And, you know, that was on glaring display the whole fucking game. But like, when did they draft Cooper Cup? Like, was he an undrafted free agent? Like, he's from Eastern Washington. They probably got him in the fifth, sixth, or seventh round. Yeah. Aaron Donald, top 10 pick. Mm-hmm. Or I think he was the 14th pick, actually. Von Miller, top 10 pick. Leonard Floyd, top 20 pick. Like exactly. these guys, like if you're going to spend capital in the draft, like Jamar Chase is the exception, I think. And I guess mm-hmm. Justin Jefferson, you got him towards later in the first round. This is a conversation we've had several times. I think we'll we'll have Connor on sometime 
um, on this pod since the RPO show expired and the throne of the flow is the only living podcast on Burps Entertainment right now. Um, but with that, thank you guys for tuning in and listening to us talk about um, a very dramatic show that can be fun sometimes and really depressing at others. Thank you for uh, listening to us talk about one of our favorite basketball players in the league right now. And then a game that got like, I think 120 million viewers. Absolutely insane. The biggest stage of the year, the easily, easily the biggest broadcast of the year. Um, we will be back probably next Tuesday, I would project, because I think we have some yeah. busy weeks ahead of us. Yeah. Maybe we do an in-person pod this weekend, Jack. Maybe we can squeeze one in. Um, but thank you guys for listening to us. We appreciate it. Enjoy the all-star break. Watch the dunk contest, three-point contest. Team LeBron about to go 5-0 and against Team KD. Hashtag LeGM. Uh, Carter, Jack, thank you as always for hopping on. Thank I love you, you both. Um, and we'll see you next time. Um, all right, all right. Feel like Black Jesus. Right with the same. Right